Well, good evening, church. I, I, do, I do love and appreciate all of you so very much. And I, I want to, every time I get a chance to speak to you on a Wednesday night, especially, I want to say thank you for being here on a Wednesday night. Uh, I grew up sort of taking that for granted, that, that I would be at Bible class and worship on Wednesday nights, um, and I even began ministry with taking that for granted, uh, but no longer. I don't want to take that for granted, and I don't want you to think that we take it for granted, that you choose to be here, to be a part of this, whether you're watching online or you're here in the auditorium. Thank you uh, for making this choice, because I know you have a lot going on in your life. I know that you're busy. I know that you have things that you're thinking about and that you're busy doing, that you're worried about, that maybe you're overwhelmed with. And so it's good for us, it's good for me to spend time in the middle of the week with the reminder of who we are and what we're doing and what we're supposed to be doing. Tonight we're talking about renewing our prayer life. And I always say after every sermon, anytime I talk to somebody about a sermon afterwards, especially if they say something like, you really stepped on my toes today, preacher, you know, and I always tell them I wasn't aiming for your toes, I was aiming for mine, I'm just preaching to myself, and if it applies to you, great, that's good, uh, but I was really just preaching to myself what I know that I needed to hear, and that's especially true tonight. I feel like one of my greatest failures one of my greatest weaknesses, one of my greatest struggles as a minister, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a father, as a man, is that I don't spend enough time in prayer. And it's especially surprising to me that after this year that we've all had, this year of turmoil, this year of sickness, this year of division, this year of worry and stress and anxiety over the last 18 months. My dad, you, you know probably that my dad in December had a heart attack and had an open heart surgery, and so that was incredibly stressful right now. In fact, both of my parents are, thankfully they're feeling better today, but they're both struggling at home with COVID, and so they're sick, and so this week, just on top of everything else, the last 18 months has been incredibly stressful. But I don't tell you that to garner pity, but to confess my sin, that I haven't spent enough time in prayer. I saw this meme on Facebook. In fact, Holly got this meme. I think Lisa Kirkwood posted it this week, and she sent it to my whole family, and it really humbled me, convicted me, encouraged me, but it says, if you're overwhelmed by the fact that there's nothing you can do except pray, then, my friend, you undervalue your greatest weapon. And I confess to you that far too often I have thought of prayer as a last resort, as something that we do when we don't have anything else we can do, when we wish we could do something else, when we think there should be something else that we could do that's more important or more impactful, and if we don't have anything else we can do, then we think, well, if all else fails, then we should pray. I've spent more time rolling up my sleeves than going to my knees. And I tell you that to confess that to you to confess that I need to do better. I need to do better stopping thinking that it depends on me and remembering that it depends on him. 
to, to stop thinking that it's my strength or my wisdom or my power or my cunning or my strategy or my whatever that's going to get me through this situation or anyone else's for that matter, but it's his and start relying more on our father. In fact, I got a call this week from someone and is a brother in Christ who's going through, I think, what every, everybody in every church is feeling right now. And it was just, how, how do we create revival? How do we spark encouragement? We feel like we're sort of on this roller coaster. We feel like we kind of got the hang of stuff. Okay, everything's sort of becoming normal and everything's okay for right now. And then all of a sudden, something else will happen and the rug gets pulled out from under us. And we feel like we're on this roller coaster ride and the church just gets discouraged sometimes. And this minister called me this week and said, Wes, how do we, how do we light a fire under the church? How do we encourage the church? How do we inspire the church? How do we revive the church from a season of apathy and coldness and that's what we've been talking about through this series renewal renew our strength and 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 the first thought that came to my mind is one that again I, I know what to do I know what to do it's pray I know what to do I know that's the answer the answer is pray The answer is rely on God. The answer is to not think that we can do it. The answer is to know that he can and to rely on him and to talk to him and to pour out our heart to him. I know it, but so often I don't do it. Now again, I don't know if any of this applies to you, but I know for a fact it applies to me. I don't know if you need to renew your prayer life or if you need to breathe new life into your prayer life, but I know I do. And I know too often I rely on my own strength and not on his. But if you're like me and you wonder how how do we do that? Because we all know to pray probably. Everybody here knows, okay, yeah, Wes, that's the answer we're supposed to give when we... When we're struggling, when things are bad, or when things are good, when things are great, when things are horrible, at all times without ceasing, pray. We know that, but so often we don't do that so how do we how do we revive our prayer life and that got me thinking how would we revive any communication that was failing or was weak was not as strong as it should be if if you're married and you realize my communication with my spouse isn't what I should it should be I don't talk to them enough I don't tell them how much I love them I don't pour my heart out to them I don't listen to them I don't communicate the way that I should or with your children or with your parents or with any relationship in your life what would help that what would help that what would revive your communication with anybody a bunch of commands like you ought to would, would that help Like if you came here and you said, Wes, you know, I'm really struggling to communicate well with my wife. If I just told you, well, you should communicate with your wife. Do it. Just do it. That that probably wouldn't help, would it? Just a bunch of commands or instructions to say, do it. We, We cannot coerce ourselves. You cannot guilt or shame or coerce yourself into a better prayer life. I think we have to start with that realization, don't we? That you cannot guilt or shame or coerce yourself into a better prayer life. I know, I know that I should rely on him more and on me less. But to get from where I am to where I need to be, 
It's not a matter of beating myself up and just saying, Wes, you should pray more. You should pour out your heart to God more. You should love him better. Your prayer life should be stronger. Self-flagellation, coercion, guilt, and shame isn't going to get us there. So what is going to get us there? What's going to get us from where we are individually, personally, and collectively from the place where we are to the place we need to be? What's going to revive us? What's going to revive our prayer life so that, so that prayer isn't something we do that we feel like it's an obligation, like, like we feel like we're compelled to do it, like we have to do it, but that we want to do it, that we can't wait to do it, that we would spend every moment in prayer if we possibly could. What's going to get us from where we are to where we need to be? Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. We read this on Sunday. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I've been thinking about that word Abba a lot. Now, you may know that that's the the Aramaic word for father. So he uses both the Aramaic word for father and then the Greek word for father. He's, He's writing in Greek, and then all of a sudden he throws in an Aramaic word here. Abba, Abba. Now, you you may have heard that that, that's the Aramaic word for daddy, and I don't know about that. A lot of scholars say, no, it's really not daddy. It has more reverence and respect and obedience than daddy. And it really wasn't, it wasn't rare or uncommon for the Jewish people to use the word Abba to speak to God, to pray Abba. That was their word. In fact, I think that's the key to understanding why Paul puts that word here. Because he's giving the Gentiles, and that's the context, in both times that Paul uses it, in Romans and in Galatians, he's talking about how God is taking the Greeks, the Gentiles, those that aren't Jewish, and the Jewish believers, and in Christ, he's making them one family. And all of us, All of us who are led by the Spirit of God, we are all God's children. And so he uses both the Greek word for father and the Jewish word, the Aramaic word for father. And he says, you, if you are led by the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your history. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you are led by His Spirit, then He is your Abba. And Paul, this Jewish, this Jewish man, this man that used to be so proud of his Jewish heritage, who, who guarded it and protected it, who, who didn't want anybody defiling it or messing it up. He was a Pharisee, and Pharisee means a separatist, somebody who wanted to be separate from everybody else. And now in Christ Jesus, his eyes have been opened, and he says, no, 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 I was so wrong. It isn't just the circumcised that get to call God Abba. It's not just the circumcised. It's not just the law keepers. It's not just the Jewish. It's everybody who is led by the Spirit of God. All of you. 
all of you get to call him what I've always called him, Paul is saying. Paul has always called Yahweh his Abba. But now it's for everyone in Christ Jesus, everyone who is led by the Spirit, we all get to call him Abba. Now, recognize that for you personally, that no, no one in the world, no one in the world, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their skill, regardless of their knowledge, regardless of their wisdom, regardless of their background, no one in the world has more of a claim on God's love and affection than you. Isn't that good? That's good news, isn't it? No matter who you are or where you've come from, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you're led by the Spirit of God, if you walk by the Spirit of God, then He is your Abba. He is your Father. And you get to use the very Jewish word to call Him your Abba. He is as much your Abba as He is anyone's Abba. What an amazing thing that is for this Jewish apostle to share his father with his Gentile brothers and sisters. To say he's as much your Abba as he is my Abba. He's as much your father as he is my father. And sometimes I don't know that you and I really believe that. We might intellectually know that, but do we believe that? Do we have confidence in that fact that no one in the world has a greater claim to God's love and affection than you? You are as much God's child as anyone in the world. You have as much right to call him Abba as anyone else because of what he has done for you in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16. It goes even further. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, I always want to put really, we really are, we really are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see, he says that we are fellow heirs with whom? With Christ. The only other time in the New Testament that that Aramaic word Abba is used, it's on, the word, it's on the lips of Jesus. Paul says, Jews and Gentiles, you all get to call him Abba. And Jesus himself calls the Father his Abba. And Paul says that you are Christ's fellow heirs. You are his siblings. It just gives me chills all over, doesn't it, you? That that God is as much your Abba as he is Jesus' Abba. We look and we say, well, of course Jesus calls him Abba. Of course God is the Father to the Son. But the gospel says that everything that is Jesus' by nature and by merit is yours by grace. Everything that belongs to Jesus by nature and by merit is yours by grace. God says everything that's his, he wants to share with you, including and especially his relationship with his Abba, with the creator of the universe. That relationship is yours. 
Isn't this what Jesus says in John 14 when he tells his disciples, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you? He says in that context, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Did you hear what he said? That he's going to prepare a room for you in his father's house. Why? Because if you are his follower, then you are his brother or sister, and his Abba is your Abba, and his house is your house, and he's preparing a room for you in his Father's house. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, that's not an architectural promise. It's a relational promise, right? Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going there to pick out the curtains. I'm going there to tile the floors. He was saying, I'm going there to reconcile you to Yahweh, so that my Abba is your Abba, so that my Father is your Father, so that you have a room forever in my Father's house. If we're going to renew our prayer life, we have to believe that. Not just to know it intellectually, but believe it emotionally. We have to have confidence in this truth, in this reality that if we are followers of Jesus and his spirit dwells in us, then we've been adopted into the family and everything that is Jesus by nature and by merit is ours by grace, including his relationship with his dad, his relationship with his Abba. It's your relationship now with your Abba. He's as much your Abba as he is Jesus' Abba. And, And listen to the way Jesus speaks We're going to spend the rest of the time in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He says, all of these religious people that are standing on on the street corners in the synagogues and they're praying and praying and praying and praying, they're not praying to their father. They may be saying the word Abba, but they're not talking to their father. They're talking to the people that are watching them. Don't be like that. He says in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do we think of prayer that way? He is your father. He loves you. And he wants a personal, private even, relationship with you. Again, don't don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean, I don't need the church then. It's just me and God. We got a special. No, no, no. We only have this because of Jesus reconciling all of us to God. But because we've been reconciled, then you and I all, we all, we each get to have a personal and even private relationship with the Father. So that we can go into our room, into the most secret place and close the door where nobody else is around and nobody else can see and nobody else can hear and simply speak to our Abba who loves us. Verse 7, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Our prayer life is it built on the right words? It's built on the right relationship. It's not built on the right words. And I struggle with this too, don't you? I want to have the right words when I pray. 
want to pray in the right words, the right ways. And sometimes we're so caught up and focused on the right words, we forget who we're talking to. It's not about the right words. You can't try to impress God. You can't try to win his attention. In fact, it's not only unnecessary to try to win God's attention, it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate, isn't it? To think think that we can or we should or we must win God's attention through our big fancy words and speeches and prayers. Jesus says, not only do you not have to do that, you shouldn't do that. Why? Because he's your father. That's not what a child does. A child understands. My Abba loves me. My Abba hears me. My Abba cares about me. My Abba's there for me. Do we understand that when we pray? He says in verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus adds to that and says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, there's all kinds of things we could say about this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, but I want to focus on the fact that it's predicated upon God being our father and speaking to him as our father and trusting him as our father and having confidence that he hears us because he is our father and then living in a way that reflects the family resemblance forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us and Jesus says if you if you don't forgive others their trespasses then neither will your father forgive you See, it's one thing to to call him father, and it's another thing to live out the family resemblance. And the family resemblance is love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. It's forgiving one another because we are forgiven. And if we refuse and withhold forgiveness, then we're showing he's not really our father. We really don't know him. We don't know him at all. See, that's what the Pharisees did, isn't it? They put on this religious show for everyone to see. They called God their Abba, but they didn't reflect their Abba. In fact, Jesus says, actually, you do reflect your father, and it's not your heavenly father, it's your father, the devil. That's who you're reflecting. Because when God showed up on the scene, they nailed him to a cross, And we shouldn't just read that and wag our finger at the Pharisees, but reflect on the fact that it's really easy to be religious and not to have a deep, personal, committed relationship with our Abba. Jesus says, pray like this. He goes on in verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look, 
Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Isn't this nothing more than expansion on what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? Pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. And if we're praying, then why are we worrying about it? He says, worry is a waste and prayer is priceless, right? Worry is a waste. What good is worry? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single span to your life? Is your timeline, is your timeline going to get even an inch longer by worrying? In fact, it might get shorter by worrying, right? But I guarantee you, nobody has ever lengthened their lifespan by worrying. He says, and why would you? Why would you worry? Why would you be anxious when you recognize who your Abba is, who your Father is, when you recognize that the birds of the air, they don't roll up their sleeves. They don't do anything. He's not saying you shouldn't do anything. He's not saying you shouldn't work and store and, and gather But he's saying, they don't even do that, and your father feeds them, and yet he's your father. He's your father. He's not the bird's father. He's your father. You have that kind of relationship with him. It's not to say that if we pray, we won't be anxious. But it is to say that if we pray, we don't have to be anxious. It's not like your anxiety is just suddenly going to go away, like all of your fear is going to go away if you just pray. I wish it would. Don't you? I wish it would. I wish just just pray and then all of the anxiety and the worry goes away. But Jesus says, if you're praying, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about what you're going to drink. He says, verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He says in verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Do You believe that. Do you believe that God knows what you need? And do you believe that he is your father? Some people have had a really bad relationship with their earthly father. Some people have had a relationship with their earthly father where their father wasn't there. Or they wish their father wasn't there because of how he abused them or how he neglected them, how he hurt them, how he didn't listen to them, how he didn't bless them, how he didn't love them. But God is not that man. And if you've been hurt by a man like that, you need to recognize that that is not a reflection of your heavenly father. Your heavenly father knows your every need and he loves you and cares for you more than you could possibly imagine. Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, occupy yourself with the father's business. Pray, 
Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he says, seek first the kingdom and know that your Father is going to take care of you. Look at chapter 7 and verse 7. Real quick, I know we're running out of time. He says in verse 7, ask, 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 and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus says, your Abba will not let you go empty-handed. Your Abba will not let you go empty-handed. He loves you. That doesn't mean everything you ask for is good or that he's going to give you exactly what you ask for. But I promise you that your Abba will not leave you empty-handed. In fact, he goes beyond that. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Most fathers, maybe not your father, but most fathers, most fathers give their children good things. God's even better than that. God's even better than most fathers. God's better than good fathers. God's better than great fathers. God's better than the best fathers. God will not leave you empty-handed, and he will not give you bad things. Your Abba only wants to give you good things. This is the heart of reviving our prayer life. It's believing this, it's knowing this, it's having confidence in this, that this is reality, that if you are a follower of Jesus, no one in the world has more of a claim to God's love and affection than you do, that he is your Abba, that your spirit and his spirit testify to this reality, that he is your father, and your father will not only not leave you empty-handed, he will not give you bad things, he only wants to give you the very best things. The strength of your prayer life, the strength of your prayer life, the strength of my prayer life, reflects the confidence that you have in your Abba's love. The strength of your prayer life reflects the confidence that you have in your Abba's love. That's what's holding my prayer life back. It isn't that I don't know to pray. It isn't that I haven't been told to pray. It isn't even that I don't think to pray. It's that sometimes, sometimes my heart isn't convinced. My heart isn't really convinced that he loves me that way. Oh, sometimes I think he loves someone that way. I know that the Father loves Jesus that way. But to think that the Father loves me that way, and I think, God, don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what I've said? Don't you know how weak I am? Don't you know how foolish I am? Don't you know how much I've fallen short of your glory? And he says, I know. I saw it all. I see it all. I know it all. And I love you. And through Jesus, I forgive you. And you are my child. And I am your Abba. And if we're convinced of that and we're confident of that, then I'm convinced that nothing, nothing 
will stop us from praying. That if we're really convinced of that in our heart, that we will pray without ceasing. Let's pray. Our Abba, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we are amazed at the love that you have lavished on us that we should be called your children and such we are. Father, help us to be willing to suffer all that Jesus suffered. Help us to be willing to claim all that he is and all that he has done knowing that if we confess him before others that he even now confesses our name before you that because of Jesus, we are your children and you are our Abba. And Father, we ask that through this knowledge and this reality that you will revive us again, O Lord, that you will revive our prayer life, that you will renew our strength. Father, open our eyes to who we are in Christ. Open our eyes to who you are and help us to share that good news with others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.